Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter number 37. I appreciate the truth of that song. I first heard the song at a uh, conference up in Tennessee a couple of years back, and I, uh, my wife and I talked about it all the way home. And I said, you know, Miss Wanda, I'm going to ask Miss Wanda if she would learn that song and sing it. It's one of my favorite songs, and uh, I, I love the truth of it. He will hold me fast. If it were all dependent upon me, <laughs> I'd have slipped away a long time ago. But it's not dependent upon me. Thank God it's all dependent upon him. And I rejoice in my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have nothing in myself to boast of, but I have everything in him to boast of. Who would ever thought it whenever we were saved? We got so much and so much more. Amen. When we got him and all that has come along in salvation found in him. We have a rather lengthy passage of Scripture to read today as we continue our look into the life of Joseph. As you find Genesis 37, verse 12, if you can and will, would you stand with us, please? We'll read down to the end of the chapter. I'm interested this morning in Joseph, a young man hated. That's a rather awkward place to be put, you know. Some children grow up in homes where they feel they are in the way. Sometimes a spouse feels as though uh, they are despised by a mate. I don't know that I rejoice so much that we're living in the days of social media, but sometimes um, myself and some have had a discussion as of late. Sometimes there are very pointed, malicious, personal attacks made against people, and then that person has to bear up under that. And try to be bigger than. And so hatred is a part of our sin-cursed world. Joseph is a man that bore up under much hatred. It wasn't from an athletic team that he played against. Nor a neighbor that they were fighting over a property line. But it came from his own family. Joseph, a young man, hated Genesis 37, beginning in verse 12, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when he saw, or excuse me, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him. 
that he might rid him out of their hands and deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Joseph said unto his brethren, What profit is it? Or excuse me. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Joseph, a young man, hated. I cannot imagine what this man, even at a young age, had to endure and bear up under. But by the grace of God, he remained faithful. As we said, our last look at the life of Joseph, Joseph is a young man who is God-conscious. He is God-aware. That makes a difference in a believer's life, you know, to realize that God is near, looking on, and he cares for his flock. It'll make a difference in your life, child of God. It made a difference in Joseph's life. Brother Ken Morgan, would you pray for us, please? Yes, Lord. Yes, we are, Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. This is our third look at Joseph's life. And our first look, we looked at Psalm 105, the portion of Scripture there in that psalm that deals with Joseph and how God preserved his people uh, through Joseph and all he went through. We noticed a phrase there and just gave an overview of the life of Joseph, a broad sweep. 
And, of course, we called him Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. It's amazing the extent God went to to put iron in Joseph's soul. God has a way of doing that with all of us. We talked about how that there are lessons learned from his life, from that psalm. One which is God's purposes are often hidden as they are carried out in our lives. Sometimes if we could understand better what God is doing, um, we might feel a little more comfortable about things and understand the direction he is taking our lives. We also talked about how that we learn from the life of Joseph that God's ways are often hidden as they are carried out in our, our lives. You remember we looked at the two verses. It ought to be underlined in your Bible out of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God disciplines Joseph. He hymns him up. He takes him places. God does things in a way that we would not have done them. But God's ways are right ways, and they're always the best way. We also talked about how that God's timing is right timing, and we might miss his timing, right? At the age of 17, Joseph is thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard of King Pharaoh in Egypt. He's tempted, resists the temptation, and yet he's lied upon. We'll notice that, the Lord willing, next Sunday. Of course, he's sent to prison. He interprets two dreams for the baker and the butler. They told him they'd remember him when they came before the king, and yet they forgot him. And so he spends more time even in the prison, but eventually he comes out. He will run the kingdom for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God's timing. But then God's resources, they are unlimited. And we, as God's people, are able to draw upon them. There's the resource of God's word. The resource of God's presence, the resource of the Holy Spirit who abides within, the resource of the peace of God in our lives, the resource of the brethren in the local assembly, and many other resources we could certainly list. Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. And then we talked about Joseph, a young man singled out in Genesis 37, 1 through 11. Joseph is singled out by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. One-fourth of the book of Genesis is given to Joseph. Over 400 verses, one-third of the book of Genesis, is given, to, is given to the life of Joseph. Not only is Joseph singled out by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, but he's singled out by his father Jacob and shown favoritism. Jacob, he had a love for Joseph that he did not have for the other boys, um, he had a discernment. He knew that God was working in his son's life. And then he gave him a garment, a coat of many colors that Joseph is known for wearing even unto this day. Joseph also in that passage, verses 1 through 11 of this chapter, is singled out by his brothers and he's hated. He's hated because of their father's favoritism. He is hated because of his coat of many colors he wears. He's hated um, for his dreams that God has given to him. He's hated because his life is a stark contrast to their lives. And then Joseph is singled out by God and given dreams. His earthly father gave him a robe that God gave him revelations. God is working in this young man's life. 
And, of course, it upset his brothers. It will upset others before the story of Joseph is over. And today that brings us to Joseph, a young man hated in the passage before us. God's working in the life of Joseph, and we know it, but we have a Bible, right? We've seen the end of the story, but now Joseph didn't have that. As a matter of fact, the man that would write his story hasn't even been born yet. Moses is going to write the story of Joseph. And then some believe it is David that wrote of him in the Psalms, and he's not been born yet. But the Spirit of God gives the story to Moses in years to come. And he'll pin it down. David will. And we're preaching about his story even unto this day. There are many burdens that are placed upon the shoulders of Joseph. He asks for none of them. But every burden that is placed upon him, every time he is mistreated, it is a burden. And yet at the same time, it's a blessing disguised as a burden. How often we get bad news or Maybe we've been placed in trying circumstances and we wonder what good can come of this and yet give it a little time and let God work as God often does. And usually we testify a little differently, don't we? The Wednesday night before Thanksgiving in 1992 as a young uh, pastor, uh, we had not had anything that even resembled a testimonial service, but I felt if the world could stop the next day and offer thanks, surely God's people could offer a word of thanksgiving. I read some verses that night about Thanksgiving out of the Psalms. Then I, uh, I shared a bit of Thanksgiving myself. And I asked, would there be anyone that would like to just maybe speak up and thank God for something? And a man on my right who is now with the Lord, he thanked God for a massive heart attack. And I thought to myself, as a young believer, I'd never heard anything like that. He said, I was driving a truck and I was giving myself to the world and making money and we were buying things that we had wanted for a long time and life was easy, but I was leaving God out of my life. And he said, God put me flat on my back and I've learned through the years to thank him for that because I tried to place him number one in my life rather than ignoring him. God gives Joseph, he gives him dreams and... and, um, Someone has said in the account before, said that his dreams here become nightmares. Perhaps they do, but God's going to sort all of that out in his time. Joseph is going to teach us life-changing lessons as we look at him. Sometimes we think if we come from a dysfunctional background, God can't touch us or use us. But look at Joseph. We talked about that in our last message. He's a man that experiences hatred from uh, under his own roof. He experienced mockery by those who should have loved him. He lives out pain and anguish of soul. He experiences things that you and I perhaps have never experienced. As a matter of fact, when you consider the great sufferer Job of the Old Testament, call Joseph in and let him sit with you too. Because he has suffered right along beside Job. They suffered differently But then again, God wins in the end, and only God can do that. Figure that math out. Only God can do what God has done in this young man's life. Let me give you just a brief reminder, if I may, of Joseph and his family. Um, There's his family heritage. His great-grandfather is Abraham. His grandfather is Isaac. He would have been blind by the time Joseph comes on the scene. His father's name is Jacob. His mother's name is Rachel. She died giving birth to his youngest brother, Benjamin. 
He has ten half-brothers and one full brother, the full brother being Benjamin. The twelve sons of Jacob, they make up a motley crew, to say the least. And yet God chooses to use them as the twelve tribes of Israel. They are the beginnings of the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph has a godly heritage, but they were not perfect people by any stretch. They were sinners, just like you and I. And yet God uses them in spite of who they are. If God cannot work among sinners, and if God cannot work among a sinful atmosphere, there is no hope for any of us. For we all are sinners. And not only have we all fallen short, we still come short of the glory of the Lord. That is, in other words, we fall short of the image of Christ. We do not always bear His image as we ought. It reminds me of the passage in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 26 to 31, which says, For you see your calling, brethren, have that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught at things that are. Here's the reason why God chooses uh, to use feeble people. He said that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, uh, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And in case we missed it in verse 29, he says in verse 30, That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God works in spite of us. If there should be a soul saved in the service today, or if there should be edification of a saint, or encouragement for a family, it won't be because I'm on the scene, but it'll be because God's on the scene. And aren't you thankful that our hope rests in Him? Now, not only his family heritage, but let me say a word, if I may briefly, about his family's history. I want to say something in the area of their sin or sins, plural. First of all, they're individual sins, and then secondly, a generational sin that seems to follow this family. Um, first of all, individual sins. His great-grandfather, Abraham, he is, the, he is the federal head of the Hebrew race. He was a pagan. He was a moon worshiper. God called him. He was an idolater. As he was in Ur of the Chaldees and, and told him to leave. He didn't tell him to take anyone with him other than his family, his cattle, and his possessions. And yet here he brings a lot with him. He brings someone with him that he was not told to bring. And there's problems because of that. He winds up in Egypt, and there's problems because of that. He has a tendency to lie. As a matter of fact, on two occasions, he puts his wife Sarah at harm. He risks her decency and her dignity to save his own neck, to save his own life. You'll find that Isaac had a little bit of trouble with deception as well. And then, of course, there's Jacob, the daddy of Joseph. Jacob's sins are abundant for a great deal of his life. Of course, Joseph didn't know his father like that. By the time he's come around, God has done a work in his daddy's life. He knows nothing of the old Jacob unless someone has told him why his daddy limps and how God had to touch him and change him. Uh, early in the morning after wrestling with him through the night. Then there's Jacob's sons. Of course, there are sins that are recorded about uh, Joseph's ten half-brothers. Jacob's other sons. Reuben uh, went up to his father's couch 
committed adulteries. He slept with his father's concubine. And then there's Judah. You remember Judah played the part of the fool. You will remember his son's widow, Tamar, dressed herself and veiled her face as a harlot. And Judah approached her, gave a price. And the result was that she's now expecting with twins. When Judah finds it out, he scowls and has something to say. And then what he left with her, uh, she presents to him and said, Tell me, art these thou? Uh, uh, is this yours? You're the one that's played the fool more so than I have. And Judah's sin is before the people. And then, of course, there's Simeon and Levi. They devise a plan. And in Genesis chapter number 34, they slaughtered the prince of the Hivites and Shechem, his son. And they took the spoils of the Hivites. Not only did they slay Shechem and his father, but they slew all the men. You know the story of how they devised this plan. You'll turn back with me. I'll summarize it with just a few of the verses in Genesis chapter number 34. Uh, you'll, notice, you'll notice with me verse number 2. The Bible says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, that is, saw Dinah, the sister to the boys, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. I don't mean to embarrass us today, but he raped her. He raped their sister, and they're going to get vengeance on them. The two boys felt like, and I'm a little ahead of myself here in the message, but they felt like if our daddy won't stand for our sister and her decency, we will avenge her decency. Verse number 25, and following of Genesis 34, the Bible says, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field, and all their wealth, and all their little ones, and their wives, they uh, took they captive, and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you would think he would say something about the honor of his daughter. That's not what he said. He's worried about his own image. He said, you have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? A, a father ought to be a father. I've heard stories of fathers going into bar rooms and, uh, and, and pulling a son out or pulling a daughter out of somewhere or standing at the front yard and standing his ground for his family or taking a firearm. Uh, because someone's trying to intrude, standing between he and his wife, he and his children, making decisions when no one else uh, perhaps would make the decision. Simeon and Levi, they have their sins in playing this part. There's the generational sin as well of favoritism. I think I could argue the case, and you could too, of Abraham and Sarah uh, showing that favoritism. You remember Sarah got ahead of the promises of God. She had a handmaiden by the name of Hagar. And she gave Hagar to Abraham and said, now God said he was going to give us a son. I'm past uh, 
that childbearing age, take Hagar, and we'll have a son this way. And then you'll remember that, that, uh, that Hagar conceived and bare Ishmael. Sarah, because of envy and jealousy of Hagar and Ishmael, uh, told Abraham, banish them, send them away. And that's what Abraham did. You can find favoritism as well in the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. They had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Isaac, Isaac loved Esau more than he did Jacob, and he let it be known. The mother, Rebekah, loved Jacob more than she loved Esau. They both boys belonged to the couple, but yet they show favoritism to one boy over the other. It's also seen in the marriage of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel, but he despised. The Bible even tells us, we'll read it in a moment or two, but he despised, he hated Leah. Leah did everything she could to try to win Jacob's love. If you look at the birth of her sons and the way she named them, a beautiful story is played out. How that she's doing everything she can to win Jacob's love. And yet he still doesn't love her. He despises her almost. And, uh, uh, but uh, she finally makes her mind up. If Jacob won't love me the way he loves me, God will be my husband. And I will give my life and live my life for God. And uh, you can do that today, dear heart. God doesn't always change our circumstances. But he can change our point of view in the midst of our circumstances. And now favoritism, as we come to the life of Jacob, this generational sin that seems to follow this family, it is that this favoritism is shown to Joseph by his father Jacob. Verse number 3 of Genesis 37 says, Now Israel, it's another name for Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Joseph has a godly heritage. But again, may I say it, they're not a perfect family. And uh, look, none of our families are perfect. As a matter of fact, we don't like to admit that often. But none of our families are perfect. We have challenges. We still have this Adamic nature about us. We live in a sin-cursed world. There are temptations and trials on, on, on every hand. Let me say a word, if I may, not only about the family's heritage and the family's history, but briefly a word about the family's hurt, a broad sweep here that we'll take. Let me say something about the hurt that is in this dysfunctional family, this family that's always in turmoil. They seem to be at one another's throats. There's there's something lying beneath the surface, and they don't seem to be able to get it out. So again, there's much turmoil that's in the home, in the family. I'll start with the ten half-brothers of Joseph. As far as I am concerned, uh, unless you can show me something different, I'm convinced they are damaged property. Even from their childhood, they're damaged property. I want you to consider the sons of Leah and the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. First of all, the sons of Leah. If you want to look with me, Genesis 29 and verse number 30, you'll remember that, uh, that Jacob married Leah before Rachel. But it was a sham wedding. He was hoodwinked. Uh, One who was a better trickster than Jacob has took him on for play. He woke up the next morning after the wedding thinking he had worked seven years, thinking he had paid the dowry, thinking he has married Rachel. Of course, in Eastern, Middle Eastern custom, she would have married with a veil on her face. And he wakes up the next morning, he's married the wrong daughter, the wrong sister. He marries Leah. 
He works another seven years for Rachel. And, uh, and uh, so the Bible says in Genesis 29 and verse number 30, and I'm considering this hurt in the family. Consider with me the sons of Leah. The Bible says in Genesis 29, 30 and 31, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. Did you catch that? He loved Rachel also more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. Watch verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Don't think these boys did not know um, how their mother had been treated by their father. Um, How many of us can remember? I've had this conversation two or three times the last six weeks with different people. How many of us who are adults can remember when we were a child and some elder man or some elder lady showed special affection toward us? (laughs) They showed us a bit of attention, and, and they may have been mean as a snake everywhere else, but we've got fond memories. I had a conversation with my brother in law, Tommy Dale, and his dad, Hugh, which is my wife's stepfather, was many years ago. We were talking about the blessings of the Lord. Hugh, Hugh is 79. And when he talks, he laughs. He just exudes joy and happiness. He often talks about how the Lord's been good to him. Let him live 79 years. He still works nearly every day of his life. He gives time to his church. He's He's a member of one of the larger churches in the city of Tupelo. He's a master electrician, and he loves to save his church money and just... Um, just do for his church, and and he invests himself in the youth program they've got over there. He supports their young people, and we were talking about the blessings. And Hugh, he said, you know, he said, he said, your wife, he said, I reckon she loves me better than a hog loves slop. And I said, Hugh, Amanda loves you better than a hog loves slop. I said, you want me to tell you why she loves you, the way she loves you? And he said, tell me. He said, she's never told me. Tell me if you. No, why tell me? And I said, uh, Amanda remembers a bad marriage where her mama was slapped and her hair pulled and she was beat with a fist. And she and her brothers felt as though they were in the man's way. That man's dead and gone now, of course. And I said, when you were married to her mom, you were kind and affectionate. You loved them and you showed them. And I said, Hugh, you treat a kid right and they'll always remember you. But you treat a kid wrong, and they'll never forget that. And you see, these boys have been treated, treated wrong. Their mother's been treated wrong. Could I just sidetrack here just a minute? I'm thinking of my friend, Dr. David Miller from Heber Springs, Arkansas. He's been confined to a wheelchair for years. His son is an elected official, very well respected in the state of Arkansas, He had a tragic car wreck some years back, and he too is a quadriplegic. Dr. Miller sat by his side until he woke in ICU. He already knew the verdict that his son would live the life he's now living, has been living for years. Dr. Miller can only move a finger and speak and move his head. Dr. Miller coached T-ball when his boy was coming up from a wheelchair, and he heard the bullies on the team making fun of the, uh, the boy that uh, come from a ragtag background. He wheeled out and he said to the boys, he scolded the boys, and he said, don't you ever let me hear you say that again. 
And then he said he called the little boy up to him, and he said, get real close to me. Get real close to me. He said, son, I don't care where you come from and who you are. God gave you a mother, and you don't ever let anybody talk about your mother. He said, if you can't fight them, spit in their face. And you say, preach, you ought not have said that in the pulpit. If God gave you a mama and she's still living, you let her know that you're aware she's a gift in your life. She's gone to great pains. A mother is a gift. Some of us have buried our mothers, haven't we? You ever have days where you'd like to have one more conversation? I I remember the day headed to Oakview Baptist Church, Thanksgiving week of 2008. We just buried my mom. She had a little red Grand Prix. Our little red Grand Am she drove, and when she was taking her chemo, she was, had lost her hair, and she was wearing a wig, and sometimes he'd get shifted. I was coming out of the Hurricane Road, and right there at the grocery store, while I was turning, little Grand Am sat there, and for just a quick second, I thought it was her. We still miss them, don't we? Sure we do. These boys are damaged property. How about the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah? Their mothers were concubines, handmaids. They knew what society thought of their mom and thought of them as well. Here's my question. Where was Jacob at when the sons of Leah was being raised? Where was Jacob at when the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, when they were being raised? What about the critical times in the life of this family? Why did Jacob wait until his deathbed to say something to Reuben, who lay on his father's couch and committed Adultery and incest. Why and where was Jacob at when Judah committed the sin with Tamar? Where was he at when Dinah had been raped, molested, mistreated? Where was Jacob at then? Did you know one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children, no matter where life takes them and no matter where they choose to go, when they're old enough to make decisions on their own? Fellas, I'm telling you, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children is to love their mother and to be a father to them. Every day of their life, whether they agree with it or they don't agree with it, there'll come a day in their life they'll look back and say, my dad did right by my mom. I debated on whether or not to read this. Will you spare me and indulge me just a moment or two? I read this back we, uh, on January, some Sunday nights a few years ago. I read this. Anna gave me a journal, and I used it the year of 2016. And she wrote to me, I, 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 look, if she became the queen of England, I couldn't be more proud of her than I was with this. In the beginning of this journal, this is what she wrote. And you just indulge me just a moment. This time next year, she writes, Dear Daddy, this is Father's Day 2016. This time next year, I won't be waking up in the same house as you wishing you a happy Father's Day. So there's a few things I wanted to say. I sure will miss having to wake up early just to fix coffee. I will also miss our late-night talks. Thank you for being my first love and for loving Mama in a way that has taught me how I am supposed to be loved. Thank you for loving me and the rest of us more than you ever loved yourself. Thank you for all of the sacrifices you have made for me. They do not go unappreciated. Thank you for always guiding our family into God's will even when we were unsure of the outcome. You have the biggest heart for people, and I'm thankful I got that trait from you. I pray you remember on all your bad days to not give up. Look where God has already brought and delivered you from. God has truly blessed you with a big platform. 
to stand on. You do so with much prayer, um, with much prayer and so well. You have always exemplified yourself in a Christ-honoring, humble way. You have taught me the importance of Christ in our daily walk with him. Also, in forgiving those who hurt us. Because that burden is too big to be carried on our own. I am eternally grateful. And she goes on and says, another half a page full. I wouldn't take anything for that. And I have loved their mother. And she has loved me. We were two kids that didn't know anything when we got married. We were told we wouldn't make it. We couldn't make it. And were it not for God's grace, we've discussed it time and again. Still often we discuss. Were it not for God's grace, we would not have made it. We didn't know anything. Didn't even suspect anything. But God in his grace has done for us what we could not do. Don't be afraid, fellas, to tell your wife in front of your children. As a matter of fact, you ought to, that you love their mother. Say it daily in front of your children that you love them. When something arises in their life, take a stand. Quit pussyfooting around. They may grow up and be mad about it for a little while. They'll come around perhaps one day. No one else will say no. Say no. Lock the door. Take their bedroom door off the hinge if you have to. Take the phone and break it. If they can't make the decision, you make it for them. Someone tries to intrude. Do what's necessary. Jacob dropped the ball. Fellas, I'll be candid with you. I feel like I've dropped the ball along the way. As a matter of fact, could I be very open and honest with you? Looking back, I've preached between three and 400 revivals over the years. You know what I wish I'd have done less of and more of? And I've sat at ball fields and ball stadiums, and I've jumped on trampolines and worked on go-karts and acted a fool, and I've done everything you've done with your kids. But I wish I'd have preached fewer meetings and spent more times around a fire pit. I wish I'd have drank a whole lot more Kool-Aid and been a lot more vulnerable instead of being off somewhere in a meeting. You say, preacher, but you were doing the Lord's work. I'm going to tell you where our first work is, fellas. It's in our home. We honor God, fellas, by loving our wives as Christ loved the church. I sure am wanting to finish this. Brother Doug Bearden, I spoke to you about when he said goodbye to Miss Gail and buried her. He grieved sorely. I've never known a man to grieve like he grieved. Spoke to him countless times on the telephone. He would always say, Preacher, the Lord told me to love her like his son loves the church. He said, Preacher, I tried my best. Did I do right? I loved Miss Gail. That's what ought to be left behind. Let me give you four thoughts in a hurry because I want to keep moving. And I don't have a watch, so if I go into the second hour, blame it on me losing my watch. Let me give you four thoughts. Let me just divide the chapter, the rest of the chapter for you. First of all, there's the journey of Joseph. This young man hated 
the journey of Joseph. You'll find his journey in verses 12 to 17. Joseph is sent into hostile territory, into a hostile situation. Here's the thing of it. I won't take time to develop it for you. Joseph had no idea when he left home that day looking for his brothers how far his journey was going to take him. He had no idea that he would never see his grandfather Isaac again this side of eternity. He had no idea that it would be 20 years or better before he'd ever see his family again. He had no idea. None of us do. You pull out in the morning, you don't know where the journey will take you. Your wife leaves in the morning, she has no idea. We think we know, but we don't know. Secondly, there's the conspiracy against Joseph, verses 18 through 30. You'll notice with me, verse number 18, for time's sake, the Bible says, they, that is the brothers. Now, he is sent to Shechem. They're not at Shechem. A man asks him, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. He said, well, I overheard them say that they were going to Dothan. And so here goes Joseph to Dothan to check on his brothers. And the Bible says in, in verse number 18 that after they see him, they conspired against him to slay him. When he got close enough, they saw that coat they despised. They disrespected Joseph. They slander him. Verses 19 and 20, you'll notice with me, where the Bible says, Genesis 37, verses 19 and 20, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. They didn't say, Here comes Joseph. They, they did not say, Here comes our younger brother, this dreamer. What they say, they say with spite. They disrespected him. They degraded him. When he gets there, they've devised a plan to slay him. Verse number 23 says, And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. Do you see that? And then it goes on and says, His coat of many colors that was on him. They degraded him. They pulled his garment off of him before they throw him into the pit. Say what you will about his coat of many colors, But the Bible says it's his coat. They took from him what rightfully belonged to him. They took it unlawfully. They took it unkindly. They took it spitefully. They stripped him. Reminds us of our great Joseph who was stripped of his raiment and and he was thrown in the pit and would later go hang on the cruel cross of Calvary for our sin. They disregarded Joseph, verse number 23, 24, in the first phrase of verse 25. The Bible says, and it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Watch this. And they sat down to eat bread. Had a total disregard for him. Joseph would weep and cry, beg. They sat down to eat lunch. Their brother in agony. They despised Joseph. Verse 4 of the text of the chapter says they hated him. Verse 5 says they hated him. Verse 8 says his brothers hated him. Verses 19 and 20 says they hated him. They hated Joseph. They hated him for his coat. They hated him for his dreams. They hated him for his position in the family. 
They hated him because of the favoritism of their father. Here's what the brothers do. They intended to kill Joseph, verses 18 to 22, but they settled on selling Joseph into slavery, verses 23 through 30. And sell him into slavery, they do. There's the lying about the situation. Let's just read the verses. Verses 31 to 35. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. He knew it was his coat. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. You need to be careful. Some of you have walked where I've never walked. I've never had to say goodbye to a child. Some of you have. People grieve differently. Joseph refused their comfort. They've lied about what they've done. And now they're trying to cover it up. Verse 36, and I'm going to wrap this up. Verse number 36. Notice with me the agony of Joseph. Verse number 36 says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt under Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Look with me, if you will, to one verse of Scripture, verse uh, chapter number 42 of Genesis, verse number 21. Looking back, the brothers, the conscience bothered them about this. In chapter 42, and we'll bother them again in chapter number 50. Chapter 42, verse number 21, and they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon me. Joseph wept. Joseph grieved. He had anguish of soul. You almost want to join him as he's following the Midianites, the Ishmaelites to Egypt, don't you? Say, Joseph, get it out. Weep, son. I know they despise you and they've rejected you. I know they hate you and they've sold you into slavery. But Joseph, weep and get that out because this very crowd that wanted to kill you, you're going to have to save their lives and save their babies one day. It's amazing what God does. Joseph is a young man hated. And yet God will continue to steer the ship, to drive the ship. Isn't it amazing how God can bring order out of chaos? Isn't it amazing how God can work in someone's life where there's been hatred, there's been envy, and there's been conspiracy? F.B. Meyer, the favored writer of yesteryear, wrote this about how God providentially works in the lives of his believers, his people. He said, as the brook hides the footprints which are imprinted in its soft ooze, so are the footprints, so are God's footprints hidden. We cannot detect his great and wonderful secrets. He marches through the ages with steps we cannot track. God is at work through the pain, the suffering, through the life of a young man hated. He puts one foot in front of the other. Trust God in spite of it all. Be careful about letting hatred grip your heart. It will color every area of your life. 
I mentioned Doug Bearden. He talked to me once about hatred. He wanted to hate a church member. His son, when he was young, had to have braces to walk. And he said, preacher, he walked bow-legged. And he said, there was a man that wanted me out of the church. And he said, one Sunday, I'd sit in the chair up front. And he said, my boy was going to come up and sit by Miss Gale. And said, while he was coming up, said, that man slipped his foot out now and tripped him. He said, I had to forgive him and preach that day. This is a cruel world we live in. Joseph, Joseph will rise up above hatred and live a life pleasing unto the Lord. Folks, I got three pages of notes left. I better let it be at that. But Joseph is God conscious. Here's a wonderful thing about it all. With a natural eye, all we see is this hatred. But there's a phrase in this chapter that reminds us that God is at work. God, through the hatred of the brothers and through the Ishmaelites and their caravan, God's going to provide free transportation for Joseph to get where he's going to raise him up and use him. At the end of verse number 28, the Bible says, And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And right there is where God's going to raise him. God is working in the life of a young man. And God is working in your life too. Don't know where you are today, child of God. But I do know enough to know that if you belong to him, he keeps good watch care over his people. There's nothing passes his eye. He knows where you are. He will see to it that it will all work together for good before the final chapter is written. We may not understand here, but God sees it all. Keep trusting him. Would you stand with us, please, Miss Angie, if you would come to the piano.